nobody is going to respect you or listen to you if all you care about is what they can do for you. Mm. They have to genuinely believe that you care about them above and beyond how they can help you win, make money, whatever their vocation is. Um, as a coach, if I don't care about my players over and above how they perform on the field, I'm, I'm a horrible coach. Um, they have to know that I talk, I, I care about how, how, how's their home life? What are they doing in school? Um, how are they becoming a better human being? How can I help them make them uh, a better father, a better husband as they get older? Um, the, 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 the stuff on the field is secondary to all of that. And players, um, assistant coaches, people you lead have to believe that. If you're not if you're not communicating that to them through both verbally and then non-verbally in your actions, I think you're failing those people. Welcome to a new season of AdBlock with Jason Dwayne Smith. We're living in a time that challenges who we are, where we stand, and where we want to be. Whether you're a CEO, a small business owner, or a local school teacher, the need to grow and evolve exists for all of us. This season of AdBlocking, we explore inspiring tales of taking risks, challenging convention, and becoming brave. Stories that may inspire us, or perhaps remind us we must choose our heart on a road to becoming whole. In today's episode, I speak with John Morrison, current cornerbacks coach of San Diego's famed St. Augustine High School, former head coach of Southern California's Francis Parker School and Illinois Lake Forest Academy. But maybe more importantly, a nationally known mentor to thousands of professionals and ex-athletes from all walks of life. This is a unique and special conversation as Coach Morrison has served as a personal father figure and inspiration for over 25 years. In that time, I've learned a lot about what it takes to be a good leader, to have conviction and grace, and to work harder than anyone else in the offseason when looking to achieve your goals. I hope our conversation about leadership in life, in profession, and in sports inspires a renewed commitment to the presence and values we all need to be great team players and leaders in our daily quest in achieving growth. And with that said, let's dive in. So yeah, coach, listen, thanks for thanks for joining me on uh, one of my uh, one of my many hobbies. Uh, I'm going to disappoint you in that there's probably 10 people that listen to this podcast. Uh, so don't expect to become an overnight celebrity as a result of participating. But I mean, what I w- did want to start with is just first, beyond thanking you for joining me on the podcast today, just thank you for everything that you've done. I mean, for the folks that will be listening and, and hopefully enjoying our conversation today, you know, Co- Coach John Morrison. It's funny because even though he's no longer my quote unquote coach, I think when someone has done as much as he's done for me in my life and what you've done, coach, it just sticks with me 
you know, great person, coached me in high school, coached tons of kids in high school, college, uh, beyond coaching, just a great mentor, supporter of people of any and all backgrounds, um, great family man, um, and just really someone that has kind of gave me my first jolt of confidence, you know, and the reason I invited you here to chat with me today, Coach, is one of my recent podcast conversations I had um, with a wonderful lady named Abby. Um, we were kind of drifting into this conversation about how success or even just how confidence starts with someone taking a chance on you, you know, right? Sure. Sure. Right? It's, 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 it's the same as anything else in life, right? We were just talking about golf, right? Like you're out there on the course that might not be the best shot to take, but you're in a tough situation and you have to make a call on, Hey, am I going to take a risk here? Sometimes it doesn't work, but when it does, man, oh man, it's such a great feeling. And I feel like you certainly did that with me and have done it with a lot of people. So, you know, I want to get into your background and I want the audience to learn a little bit more about you, but I actually just wanted to start there. Just like that whole concept of like you being a coach, you being a mentor, you being a guide to people. When I say something like taking a risk on people, like what does that bring out of you? Like how, what do you think about hearing that? And what does that mean to the way that, you know, you engage with young people and, and others? Yeah. Well, first of all, Jay, it's a pleasure to be with you and uh, be a part of your podcast. And um, obviously, you know, you and I have been close uh, ever since I got the opportunity to meet you uh, when you were at Lake Forest Academy as a student. Um, and I, I treasure, and I think most coaches can relate to this. They treasure the opportunity to stay close to former former players, former students. Um, that to me is one of the largest benefits of being able to be in education or coaching is the opportunity to watch the growth of people that you've had the opportunity to learn to know when they were young. Um, the, the, the phrase to me, taking a risk on somebody, I, I guess it's odd. That has never, I've never consciously thought to myself, let's take a risk on somebody or let's take a risk on that student. Um, I was, I, I, it's funny, I was having this conversation with one of our players uh, yesterday on the phone. Um, I'm, I'm currently uh, an assistant coach at a all boys Catholic school here in San Diego. And one of the things he's been a little bit frustrated with maybe some of his playing time, and he doesn't have a lot of confidence that we're going to really count on him during the season as we get ready to approach the upcoming season. And one of the challenges that I put to him was, it's going to be really important for him as it is for all our players to find their role on our team. Everybody has a role. It may be first string starter. It may be third string. It may be scout team player. It may be the water boy. Everybody's going to have a role on our team and, um, and play a role in our success. And you've been a member of teams all your life, whether they be athletic teams, business teams, whatever. Um, I think it's incumbent upon people whether it's me, you, young high school football players, to find their role um, and figure out to themselves, can I fulfill that role? Is that a role I'm comfortable with in this company, on this team, in this business? And can I fulfill that role and do the things that not only are expected of me, but that I have a passion to do? Um, so I, I don't know if that's on the topic that you wanted to get into, but I, I can honestly tell you, I don't think I've ever said to myself, gee, let's take a risk on that person. I think everybody has value to a team, an organization, 
Um, and it's just finding that role and finding that value. I think that's perfect, actually. It's perfect and it's, it's timely, right? Like I mentioned, you know, really this whole discussion will just be just a chance for us just to catch up. And man, it's really cool that you mentioned that finding your place for your role. I, because I listen, I'll be vulnerable in this chat in my professional career. I can't say I've always been like clear on how to find that, you know, right? Yeah. Like I, 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 I know now and I've done a lot of work on myself to get to a place where I can be more cognizant of it. Like I know I have a I can have like a very like dominant type of personality and and typically it doesn't matter what the situation is. My natural instinct is to want to kind of lead it, you know, right, coach. And uh, but it's kind of funny, like and that's what kind of brought me to you, too, is I've been reflecting on my early upbringing and what were some of the experiences I had that helped me kind of humble myself and also realize where do I fit in? And I remember playing football with you. It's funny when people see me now, you know, I'm not that out of shape, you know, so I still try to keep myself going. And people ask if I play sports coach and they make these assumptions about me being a great athlete. And I go, oh, you should call Coach Morris. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, I wasn't fast. Right. Seriously, I wasn't fast. I certainly wasn't the strongest. And arguably, I, I probably wasn't even the smartest like football mind, per se. So I was always just trying to figure out, like, where do I fit in? And I think you as a leader were able to find the spot or at least help me find the spot. How about that? Where you gave yeah, me I, the tools to find it. How, how do you do that? Because that is part well, of being a leader, right? I think coaches gravitate to kids who remind them of themselves. OK, mm -hmm, so yeah, um, yeah. most coaches are, are former athletes. Right. And. Um, I get I get asked a lot, you know, what did you do? What position did you play when you were in high school? Uh, and so um, what I tell people is I, I was small, but I was slow. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was the definition of a plugger. Right. I I I, I was smart. Um, I was able to um, uh, work hard. I was a hard worker, um, but I didn't have a lot of natural attributes that made me elite. Um, I, I was a good high school player. I, I walked on and played one year of college, and that was the end of my playing career because I had reached my max uh, uh, limit. But I think we as coaches gravitate to players who um, are, are sort of like us, and you and, and a number of players that I coach uh, remind me a, a little bit of me in that you may not have been the most gifted athletically, but you made up for it in your passion, in how hard you worked, um, in your uh, attentiveness to practice and to the details, and you made yourself the best player you could be. Um, and so I think, uh, again, yeah, I think it's one reason that maybe when you look at levels of coaching, a lot of the best coaches, um, regardless of the sport, may not have been the best athletes because they understand the things didn't come easy to them. Things, things weren't natural to them. And they understand the diligence it takes and, and the hard work it takes to really be good in, in your profession. And I, I think as I look back on my career, it was probably a blessing for me. And I wonder if I even would have gotten into coaching if I had been sort of more of a natural athlete versus just somebody who had to work hard. Let's go there. Tell me what got you into coaching. Take, take me on that journey. Boy, Jay, I had no, um, I, it, it was not the kind of thing where I said to myself, gee, one day I really, you know, I hope I could do this. Um, 
I went to college. I got a business degree. Um, my plan was to go into business um, and and do something and you know make a lot of money and um, that was sort of my plan. But I started during my summers of college. After I stopped playing, I started to work at a summer camp in uh, northern Minnesota, where I got the opportunity to be around young kids and work with kids and um, made a lot of good friends, ended up meeting my wife uh, at this camp. She was at the girls camp. I was at the boys camp. Um, and I realized just almost accidentally that working with kids was something I really, really enjoyed. And there was a young guy, uh, again, we were all young at the time, we were all in college, who had been a, uh, he was a, a counselor up there with us. And he had, he was a basketball coach in uh, the St. Louis area. And I watched him work with kids and how passionate he was about what he did and how much enjoyment and fulfillment he got out of it. And I, it sort of, it sort of, I, I don't want to say it, it, it made me think I wanted to be a coach, but it got me interested in it. And so when I went back to um, the college where I was going to school at the time, um, I got involved in coaching flag football, youth flag football at like the seventh and eighth grade level. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And that just sort of snowballed. One thing led to another. I got my master's degree. Again, uh, still didn't know that I wanted to get into coaching, but somebody took a chance on me uh, and I got the opportunity to um, be a volunteer coach at the local high school in Champaign, Illinois, when I was going to the University of Illinois, getting my master's. Didn't get paid a dime, uh, but again, got around it, really enjoyed it, um, seemed to uh, do a good job. He recommended me on and on and on. And I started coaching college football in northern Minnesota um, and did three years of college football. Um, enjoyed that uh, one year at the Division One level, but realized it really wasn't conducive to having a family life uh, with the amount of time and travel that's required with the recruiting aspect of it. And so then uh, left the college ranks and moved back down to Chicago and took the head job at your alma mater, uh, Lake Forest Academy. When you when you think about your career in coaching, and I don't take you as someone that reflects on big major moments, I, I think you just keep it even. You go to work, you put your hat on and, and chip away. But if I were to ask you about your coaching career, is there a moment or is there a particular time period that you thought was really pivotal in helping you really kind of commit to coaching and making it a big part of who you are today? I don't know that there was a moment. I think um, being at the division one level, I was a graduate assistant at the University of Minnesota. Um, I, I tell people it, it's it's like people have told me about sometimes joining the military. It's maybe the best thing they ever did. Uh, and then the second best thing they ever did was get out. Um, mm -hmm. And that's that's sort of how I felt about my experience at that level. Um, it certainly opened my eyes to what division one uh, sort of quote unquote ESPN football is all about, even though it was a long time ago and things have certainly changed in a number of regards to that. But um, I value that experience. I learned so much. Um, the people I were, were, the people I was around were so bright and intelligent and smart and hardworking. Um, so it was, it was a great value to me. And without that experience, there's no way I would have had the opportunity uh, to to come in and and be the head coach at, at Lake Forest Academy, which again led me, you know, th that experience led me out to San Diego. Um, 
the the thing you know i've i've had the opportunity we've, we've had success where i've coached um i don't really the the wins and losses and i know this sounds so cheesy for lack of a better term and people say this all the time um the championships are great all of that is fun but those are so fleeting the minute it's over you're already focused on okay what do i have to do to get back to that next year mm. what what keeps at least what kept me going and what continues to keep me going as i'm still doing this um is the relationships it's the relationships with the players it's the relationships with the coaches that you're you're working with day to day um it was always important to me as a head coach that I had guys on my staff that I enjoyed being around. Um, mm. They didn't have to be yes men. Uh, I didn't want them to agree with me all the time, but we were spending so much time together that if we didn't get along personally, it was going to be a miserable experience for all of us. So, yeah. I mean, you remember some of the coaches that were on my staff at Lake Forest that we, you know, it was just a bunch of good guys who love football and love kids. And that to me is, you know, they, at first they got to love kids and then then they got to love football and quote unquote love the grind and if they do those two things then those guys can work for me but it, the likeness between coaching and you know well coaches are leaders but being the coach and its likeness with being a corporate or a business professional and leader i think are pretty similar and you talked about the idea of wanting staff around you that you enjoy being around there's a wonderful lady I'm going to give her a shout because I think she does listen that I work with. Her name is E.T. Franklin. She's a legend in our industry, coach. And one time I did ask her, you know, I always ask people for feedback. I, I, I never think I've got it right. And I asked her for some feedback about some things I can do to grow my career. And she said just what you said. She was like, you know, she gave me all the things that I don't need to worry about. But she's like, people have to at least just like want to work with you. They, they may not even like you. But they just have to like want to work with you. And like that is really key. And, and I was just gonna ask you about that. Like when you when you are in a leading position, it, you know, I think you kind of indicated that it's important, but how important is that? And then how do you how do you kind of find that type of circle in a way that uh you know keeps you fresh? So you're not surrounded by yes people, because that's the right. that's the downfall, right? You're like, hey, I want to be around like-minded people, but I'm not growing. So how how do you kind of create that circle? So I want to I want to go back to something you just touched on about people liking you and wanting to be around you and the overriding if if I ever decided to write a book about coaching um or just about the my experiences the overriding phrase that I use and I wish I I I didn't come up with it but um and I wish I could credit it to whoever did and maybe one of your listeners knows and I would love for them to share because I feel like every time I say it I never give that person credit people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care mm. that to me would be the the title of my book um nobody is going to respect you or listen to you if all you care about is what they can do for you mm. They have to genuinely believe that you care about them above and beyond how they can help you win, make money, whatever their vocation is. Um, as a coach, if I don't care about my players over and above how they perform on the field, I'm, I'm a horrible coach. Um, they have to know that I, taught, I, I care about how, how, how's their home life. What are they doing in school? Um, how are they becoming a better human being? 
how can I help them make them uh, a better father, a better husband as they get older? Um, the, 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 the stuff on the field is secondary to all of that. And players, um, assistant coaches, people you lead have to believe that. If you're not, if you're not communicating that to them through both verbally and then non-verbally in your actions, I think you're failing those people. Um, and, and so that to me is the overriding number one, um, philosophy for me. Uh, and I try and live that all the time. Um, if I'm not living it and I know I didn't live it always, I think as a young coach and, and I I think I'm, I think I'm so much a better coach today than I was when you were playing for me. Uh, I'm, I'm more of a teacher, um, the, I've learned so much, the experiences. Um, I'm, I, I just, I, I felt like as a young coach, I was so quick to anger and quick to discipline. And I feel like as an older coach now, I've had the experience that I understand that, you know, tell, yelling isn't teaching, mm. um, lack of a better term. And so I, I personally feel, and I, I would imagine most people would say that too, that they feel like they're a more effective and better teacher coach um, as they've gone on in their career versus when they started. But I, again, just to go back and reiterate, I just think it's, if you're a leader, whether it's in business or on the football field or wherever you are, if, if you're the people you are leading, don't believe that you care for them above and beyond what they can do for you um, as, as an employee, as a player, whatever, I think you're failing them. Mm. That's profound. That is true. It, it is true because you have to have a careful balance, though, I think. Right. Because, you know, here's what I mean by that. And I want you to either correct me, build with me, you know, or just join me in this perspective. I think. That when you are a leader of people. Caring for people is of utmost importance. But as you do that, I guess there is maybe a condition in which you need to care for them, but also through the lens of what your role and relationship is with that person, right? You're not their mom. You're not their dad. You're not, you're not, you're not their, you know, significant other, you know, you, you, you know, you, you have a very, a, a portion of the relationship is transactional, right? It's like, Hey, we're, we're working together to achieve a, a shared goal. And so I was going to ask, actually, this is like, actually, I guess people just get to hear me talk to my mentor and get some advice. So how do you, how do you thread that line? Right. Because, you know, I just, I feel like that's a very careful thing that you have to do so that you maintain the authenticity, you maintain and respect and, 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 and the nurturing, but you're doing it in a way that is being very cognizant of what your specific relationship is and what that role is defined as. Yeah, don't I, I don't want people to get me wrong and think that, you know, that means you have to be nice and sweet to everybody regardless of, of their performance. That's certainly not what I'm saying. No. But I think it has to I think it has to start there. I've had to fire coaches. I've had to, you know, have discussions with players and and kick players off teams. Um, none of that's enjoyable, but it's it it's had to be done for the betterment of the of the larger group. Um so I, I think you know, the old saying about you need to be able to treat everybody the same, I think is absolutely 100% wrong. Me you too. treat people the way they deserve to be treated. Yeah. Okay. And 
not everybody is coming from the same background. Certainly at Lake Forest Academy, where you went to school, we had kids that you know were coming from very different backgrounds, very different circumstances. Yep. And if, as a leader and a coach and a teacher, if you didn't recognize that and acknowledge that and make decisions based off a lot of that, I think you were <laughs> you were just wrong. Mm. Um, so to me, it's it's about evaluating when you're having those discussions with those kids or those employees or whoever you're meeting. It's about evaluating that background. But again, if you don't get if you don't know that person, other than them coming in and working for you and going home, if you don't have any feel for their background, how would you know how they deserve to be treated? That's so right. to me, it was incumbent upon a coach. And again, I, I see this being maybe maybe this is more coach to student versus coach to um, you know, assistant coach or, or, or in your role, certainly in corporate leadership, um, it, it was incumbent upon me to get to know those students and get to know those, those, those families above and beyond them just, oh, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to come play for you, coach. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and you can certainly relate to that because, you know, I got to know your mom and certainly got to know your background. And um, it wasn't just you. It was a number of our kids. That's a great point. That's the thing is like in this lasting relationship, because whenever I talk about you, my mom, you know, she talks about you. She remembers you. And I think when you're working in a coaching environment or a corporate environment, one thing that leaders can often forget is no matter what profession or job you're in, the work produces either a sense of anxiety at times or at best it creates a sense of like what I will call extreme loyalty, meaning you just want to do well for the leader, you know? And when you do that, the person or people that you're leading, they benefit from personal care, personal touch, right? It's a human trait to want to have that connection. You don't need to be holding hands all day, but you do want to have a safe space where you can go Hey, I ran I ran that route wrong, you know, and hey, listen, I might get screamed at the third time, but at least the first time I have a place to just be able to figure out how I can get better. You know what I'm saying? Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right? Because if you don't have that, you fail the entire system. You fail as a coach because you couldn't extract as much value out of that player. Right. That player could have been top five on your team if they just understood to play a little bit better and they understood how to run that route just a little bit crisper right? The player fails because they lose confidence, right? And they lose the opportunity to actually speak with their coach and gain that teaching. And then the team fails because that combination isn't producing the type of synergy that everyone needs. So maybe my next question is, how can the players, how can the employees, how do they make themselves seen in these scenarios, right? So you got a team of 50, I don't know, you, you're coaching big time football now. It's not the little 20 person team we had at uh, Lake Forest, but you got, let's say you got 50 kids out there. It's day one of tryouts, right? And yeah, everyone's being treated with respect and, and care, but everyone gets a different approach based off of what, you know, their particular personality is. How do you, what would you advise people or young players to think about when they're trying to gain the attention of a coach, trying to create that relationship? Because they might need that mentorship. You know, right now I have a very fortunate situation. I'll call him out. I mean, it's a gentleman named Chris Booth who works with me. He's my boss at Publicis, and I probably drive him nuts a lot. But I think we have a spot, and I work really hard to make sure that 
I pay off my loyalty. We have a great relationship. I, I get the feedback, but I don't have that with other people, you know? So how do you talk to those players and, and employees about how to go about creating that connection, Coach, and making themselves visible? Yeah, I think, you know, it, specific to high school football, um, the the place where players can make their most improvement is in the offseason. Mm-hmm. Right? So mm-hmm. whether yes. getting in a weight, getting in the weight room and working on their strength training or working on their footwork, if they're a defensive back or a wide receiver or whatever, that's really the time where kids make the most uh, self-improvement. Mm-hmm. By the time you get to uh, August, when the kids report to camp, um, the die is pretty much cast, right? We've been working at, at our level. We were at um, the, 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 we're, we're in the top level of high school football in San Diego. So we play in the best conference. We're playing at the highest level. We have multiple division one uh, kids with offers. Um, these kids have been working on their chosen craft all winter, um, four mornings a week, 6 a.m. They're in the weight room for an hour and a half before school. Uh, in the afternoons, they're working either with a position coach. We've been doing seven on seven. The linemen are doing competitions against linemen with other schools. When we report on Monday, July 31st for camp, we pretty much already have a depth chart of, and we have a good idea, just like most college teams do, most pro teams certainly do, of where kids are going to slot. With the exception of injuries, which obviously is part of the game, um, that's probably not going to change a whole lot. Mm. So, what, what, again, what the conversation I'll have, and I, I coach defensive backs, right? So the conversation I will have with my group is we're going to need everybody this year. Not everybody will be a starter. Um, as you get into the season, the practice reps for each position, the, the, the top, let's say, uh, you know, starters and maybe their backups will get more of the reps. The kids who are down the depth chart a little bit will get less of the reps. How do those kids, how do you keep those kids engaged? Because you may need them by week five if one or two kids get hurt. You've yeah. got to keep those kids engaged. And again, it goes back to you have to find your role. And I have to make sure as their coach that they feel valued. Even if their role is four string defensive back, I have to make sure they feel valued. How do I do that? We emphasize their play on the scout team. Um, we film every practice. So when I go into the software program that we use and share the film out from practice, I don't just make comments about the starters. I'm I'm coaching those kids too. So every day they're feeling like even though they may not be the the, the kid who's making the 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 highlight plays on Friday night, they are being valued by the adults that oversee their progress. Um, so that's that's my job. It's incumbent upon me to keep those kids involved, engaged. Because at some point, we certainly may need them through the course of the season. Plus, those kids may be our starters next year or the year after. Mm-hmm. But what about the kid? I love that. I love that. I think it's it's a great analogy and it's a great reference because, I, oh, man, I love the offseason, Coach. Oh, my gosh. I love the off. That's where it happens. It's like you can't walk into, in my world, a pitch and you didn't do the homework on the client, right? You didn't do the homework on the process. You didn't do the homework, you know, getting together with the team. You, you can't just show up that day. It doesn't work like that, right? Exactly. Yeah. The idea of just, you know, you hear that a lot about, well, the first thing is you got to show up. Well, that's true. You have to, you know, you're the the old saying in in sports is your your best ability is your availability and your dependability, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't really matter how fast and how far you can throw the ball, how fast you are. 
if you don't show up, if you're not available and you're not dependable, none of that other stuff matters, right? But you got to do more than that. It's it's certainly, you can't just show up, like you said, if you haven't done the preparation, if you haven't done the homework, um, you're not going to be, you're, 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 you're cheating yourself and you're definitely cheating your team. Yep, that's right. That's right. Use that. So on the sayings, you have a saying, you may not remember it. So if you don't, I'll skip it. I'll ask you something else. But you <laughs> said something to me that I don't know why you said it, when you said it, or what caused you to say it, but it has driven me since I was maybe 15, 16 years old. And it, I say it to a lot of people, certainly in coaches. And I was going to ask you if you remember the saying, what does it mean to you now, maybe? And how should people think about it? And the saying was, you're only as good as your last game, right? <laughs> and it's something, let me tell you why I really love that. And it has driven me. It really has. The way that I think about it, and I have for a very long time, is to not get too high, not get too low. You know, it's like, hey, you may have crushed it today, but tomorrow you're back at the starting line, you know? And so not get too high, not get too low is something that I really try to embrace and kind of keep myself on an even trajectory so that I can have balance. And then I think the other thing, too, is, I mean, I could say it more eloquently, but don't get too full of yourself because all it takes is just one injury and that's it, you know. And so I just wanted to know what when you when you said that or even when you hear that saying, what do you think that means and how would you want folks to kind of apply that logic? Because it has had a ma massive impact on me and something that's driven me to just wake up every day with a renewed focus, renewed gratitude, renewed humility, because I, I kind of play the game of life, coach, like I might get injured today, you know, like that's how I wake up. People think I'm crazy. They think <laughs> I'm crazy. I, I attack everything with this extreme Vigor, because in my mind, I'm like, this could be the day. I could get fired today. We could lose the account today. Something could happen to me on the road. I got to go hard today because yesterday's game is over with. So I just want to get your perspective on that saying and what it means. Yeah, I I, I sort of felt and and I sort of work the same way. I, I feel like nothing's guaranteed. I, uh, every day I show up, I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if one of our coaches is going to leave. I don't know if our head coach is going to be around tomorrow. Um, you know, my job as an assistant coach now is tied into him. So if things don't go well for the team, I may not have a job tomorrow. Now, again, I'm semi-retired. It's not life or death for me at this point in my career, but still I enjoy what I'm doing and I don't want to lose it. So I, I still attack the same way. I, 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 I prepare probably harder than I ever have. Um, it just, that's just the way I am. I think we all have to find things that drive us for, for you. And I certainly didn't come up with that saying, I'm sure I heard it somewhere, like most of the stuff I say. Um, I think it was just the, the idea being that, um, maybe you had had, and again, I don't remember the specific circumstance, but I'm guessing in the context of which I would have used it, you might've had a huge game the week before, maybe you were feeling a little bit full of yourself. Um, and and I probably said something like, hey, we've got a big game coming up and nobody's going to remember last week if you don't perform to the same level as you did this week. And I think that's that's true in life to a certain extent. It's sort of the what have you done for me lately rule. Um, 
I, you know, I, I tell people uh, I'm, 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 I've, I've been able to garner a lot of honors in, in my career, right? I've been recognized in a lot of different ways. Well, I was in eight district championships and lost five of them. Mm. I was one state championship and we lost that game. We had the ball first and goal inside the five mm. uh, to win the game and we lost um, 44 to 40. So I've, as, as much success as I've had, I've had some horrible, hard, hard losses. Um, we all remember the losses more than the wins. It's just mm-hmm. always been the way it is. If you listen to any athlete, they will always tell you that. And so for me, I can never get too full of myself because all I have to do is go back to those moments and think to myself, gosh, if I would have just done something different or, uh, you know, if this would have happened or that would have happened or that call wouldn't have happened or what could I have controlled that would have changed the outcome of that opportunity um, and and that that result. So um, I think you probably work similarly. Some of us all work that way. We're sort of that we're just driven in what we do. Um, For me, one of the things that as a coach, I always look back on in my preparation was I never wanted to look back on Friday night after the game and be able to say, gee, if I just would have worked a little bit harder, if I would have watched that film one more time or, you know, uh, done that drill one more time. um, I just, that was my motivation. And especially when you're coaching not only kids, but you're coaching your own kids, right? I had the opportunity to coach both my sons, um, one of my sons worked with me for a long time. He's now a head coach in Texas. Um, man, those are those are that's really motivating. And I know what a family man you are. And I'm sure to a certain extent, you know, your boys are always watching you. Um, you don't want to let them down. That's a good point. It's a good point. What do you do? Let's talk about the loss, because 44 to 40, right? Like, yeah, we talk about losses. We get over them. But if we can remember the score, you can probably remember the play. You could you could oh, remember the weather, remember the, everything, absolutely everything. Yeah. So, but it's a good one. It's a really good one, Coach. I love to get your take on this one. So, like in my world, and I, I've, I've talked about this before. Like part of what I do in my role is I get a chance to be a part of some wonderful opportunities to secure and 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 pitch and give ourselves a chance to work with some of the best brands in the world. And sometimes coaches, just like the championship, we do all the work. We we won everything. We went through all the rounds, right? And then we get to the final one, 44 to 40, you know? And I just wanted to get your take on, tell me the day after. Like, what do you do on the day after, right? Because <laughs> I talk to a lot of people about this and I go, and I, I, I sometimes get criticized for it. I don't let myself get I, I kind of have like a morning period, which is like very quick on when something goes bad, right? But even within the morning period, I'm already thinking about getting ready for the next thing because I just can't, I can't sit on it, you know? And 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 and, and some people they are different, you know, can really dwell and and then it starts to get nasty and I just can't do that. So so I like to, I like to get your take as a professional and as a coach how do you, what do you do day one after the loss? Because you can't sit on it. You got to get ready. What are you doing? It, you know, Jay, as, as you can relate to, because I, I know Bridget so well, um, you, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I have uh, a wife of 38 years who 
knows me. She married a coach. She knew what she was getting into. And we sort of have this unspoken, eh, it's probably been spoken a few times too, uh, <laughs> rule that, you know, it's, there's sort of a 24 to 48 hour morning period, right? A- after the last game, you lose the last game, you've thrown yourself into this year for, you know, it's basically with the off season and stuff, it's basically a 10 month season. Um, you know, you get to the pinnacle, you have this opportunity that you're probably never going to get to again uh, and, and you lose. And so there's certainly, a, at least for, for me, there's a morning period where I allow myself to be frustrated, to be down, to be very quiet. You know, I, my wife doesn't make me interact a whole lot. She doesn't give me a list of chores to do. She gives me that opportunity to sort of get over it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you realize life goes on and nobody died and you try and find value in the experience right and you after even though it's hard and even though we still remember the loss and the plays you look back on the season as a whole and the players overwhelmingly remember it fondly okay yeah it was a disappointing end but the experience that 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 they lived through to get to that point was incredible uh and we all, a number of us stay in touch, both coaches on that staff, players that I had the opportunity to coach during those season, that season. Um, it's, it's sort of a bonding. It will always be a bonding spot for me. I, yeah, would, would, it, would anything have changed if we had scored and won the game? I don't know. I don't think those relationships would have changed. I, I, yeah, I'd have one more plaque in my, in my room and one more ring maybe, but it's not um, in, in the short term, it hurts so, so much. Um, my son was the offensive coordinator at the time. He was the one calling the plays. He was, I, I, I can remember like it was yesterday. We're in the locker room. We're playing up at, uh, uh, what was the home Depot center in Carson, which is now it, it was the temporary home of the chargers before they moved into the, uh, the dome that they share with the Rams. Uh, it's a, it's a soccer stadium, but it's a, a really nice stadium. And um, we're in the locker room and um, he's just bawling. I mean, he's mm. just crying. And he's, you know, my son's young at the time. He was under, th- he was uh, like 25. Um, and I'm trying to not only be the head coach at the time, but I'm trying to be dad and mm. trying to console him. Um, and the kids are obviously crying. They're emotional. And you just sort of have to, it's it's life, man. It's just, there's wins, there's losses. And you just sort of buck up and and get through it, and you you try and think of other people other than yourself. Um, and uh, I still remember to this day our quarterback doing interviews after the game, and he took the blame on himself. He he did he they, there was you know there were a lot of well how come you didn't call this play how come you didn't call that play, and he immediately put took the blame on himself and said this you know this was my thing I should have executed better we should have done this out of and I thought, God, for an 18-year-old kid to do that, what a, what a, just incredibly strong kid to be able to do that in front of microphones and TV cameras and things like that. Um, those are sort of the things I remember about that moment. It's, it was really hard. Uh, there's no question about it. I, and, and there wasn't a lot about, there wasn't a lot of fun involved with it. But um, the experience in going through that, I'm sure, has, you know, helped make me a better coach. And that was. God, this is 2023. That was 17 years ago, 16 years ago. So um, it's been a while. Yep. Nope. I'm, I'm a, you know, like I said, where I get criticized about that stuff is, you know, my mindset is 
it's like a callus, right? Like, you know, you go to the gym, man, and you go and you start off, your hands are all super soft. And then, you know, you go and then, oh, man, that hurts. And then the more it starts hurting, the more you're like, oh, man, it, now I'm ready to go. But you got to have the callus, right? Like you you, yeah. you, you got to kind of get that a little bit to be able to go at it stronger, to be more prepared, to be, you know, in your best position. Because if 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 you don't do that, if you got soft hands the whole time, it's going to be difficult when you come across something that's going to really challenge you, you know? And, no question. Uh, and getting the, getting the kids and getting the team and getting the people around you to kind of take advantage of it that way is great. So I got two more questions for you. One is, you said something earlier about you think that right now, comparatively, you've grown into, you said a better coach, but I'll I'll rephrase it, you know, an evolved coach, right, from where you were in your younger years. And we also talked about some difficulty in coaching and some of those experiences. So my question is, what do you do or what do you read or how do you what activities are you involved in to keep keep your mind fresh, right? Because you have to reinvent yourself, right? Like you Absolutely. can't, this is something I talk to a lot of people about as well is, you know, if you're doing this thing right, life, you, you live four to 10 different lives in it. Like you got to keep reinventing yourself. You got to keep looking inward and going, all right, what do I get better? How do I change? How do I keep myself calm? How do I not scream at the kids? So, you know, I just wanted to ask you, you know, if you wouldn't mind sharing, like, what is some of your practice that you apply to really keep yourself, you know, fresh and able to reinvent yourself because you, you just can't stay stagnant and, and you've got to be able to evolve a bit, right? No, absolutely. And um, I think one of the great things about the internet, obviously, is the access to information that certainly I wasn't available when you were playing for me uh, yeah. back in the 90s. Um, so um, the opportunity to, you know, Google pretty much anything um, whether it's drills, whether it's techniques, um, we have access to so much information. I can, as a position coach now, not being the head coach and having to oversee everything, I can really hone in on my chosen position. Um, I, we also have tremendous resources at our school. We have um, Troy Palomalu is a parent of one of our kids. Um, uh, Quentin Jammer, who uh, played corner for the Chargers, is a parent of one of our, our students, uh, not a parent, but um, is a, a friend of our defensive coordinator. Um, and so we have resources that I can call on these people and talk to them about their experiences and what worked, didn't work. Um, and I find it fascinating. I've, I've The other part of it is now being semi-retired and not teaching full time, I have more time in my day to do this. So when, you know, I, I I think when you were playing for me, I was the athletic director. So I was going in seven different ways when I was at Lake Forest Academy. Now I have time to, you know, spend an hour on the internet and research certain things and write things down. Um, and uh, that part of it has really been, been fun for me. Um, a lot of people were surprised, I think, and I, 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 they weren't critical at all. That's the wrong word, but I think they were surprised when I was a head coach for as long as I was, and then I went back to being an assistant coach. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. uh, I, I can tell you it's been, well, first of all, I did it for my son. He assisted me. And then when he took the head job at our previous school, I assisted him uh, for four years, which was a ball. It was just so much fun. We had a great time and we had, we had some nice success. And then when he ret uh, took the head job in Texas, I stopped coaching, but when I retired, I really missed it. I really just missed the way to be around kids and 
you know, the, the camaraderie that exists between coaching staff. And so going back to being an assistant on a staff, I've really enjoyed it's, uh, you know, I can show up at 132 o'clock. I I'm not, I don't have parents I need to talk to. I don't have to worry about a budget. I don't have to hire staff. I don't have to worry about equipment. Uh, I show up, I coach my guys, uh, wish them well, go home, have a nice dinner with my wife, watch a little bit of film then, uh, from practice, and then I'm ready to go the next day. So for me, it's not only been a rejuvenation, I think for me, um, but it's just been a whole lot of fun. And uh, I, I really, really enjoy it. I love it. I love it. We'll close with, I'm trialing this for the first time. So if we screw it up, it's just, you know, blame it on me. A little bit of word association, actually. And okay. I'm just going to toss out maybe three, four words. And I just want to know what kind of sentiment or thoughts they kind of stir up in you. So the first is just competition. Um, <laughs> uh, I live for it. It uh, doesn't matter if it's golf, uh, you know, playing for quarters. doesn't matter if it's a high school football game. It uh, doesn't matter if it's, you know, playing checkers or chess with one of my kids. Uh, I just it's always for me, it's always been a, a, just something that I really, really enjoy. Um, and it doesn't and it's not necessarily mean spirited. And I love the idea of being able to shake hands and go have a beverage with somebody afterwards. Um, but it just for me, it's it's always been, uh, I think, for me, sort of helps me focus in on what I'm doing, because I, I, I just again, I go back to that fact that. I don't want anybody to ever outwork me. I, I I will tip my hat if you have more talent than I do, if you win, if you beat me. But I've just uh, I, I I decided a long time ago that n- nobody was ever going to outwork me. Mm, I love it. Second word is uh, teamwork. Yeah, vital. Um, uh, passion passion comes to word. You 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 have to have a passion for working with other people. I don't care what you're doing. You can't do it by yourself. Uh, it, it doesn't matter if we're talking about sports, if we're talking about business, um, you have to be able to get along with other people, uh, respect other people's opinions, uh, be willing to disagree and agree when needed. But at some point, um, you know, the boss has the boss is going to make the final decision and you have to support it. Um, so absolutely vital in uh, whether you're talking about raising a family or you're talking about running a business. And the last one is purpose. You better find it. Um, I use the expression passion. Um, find your passion. It was the number one thing that I tried to teach my kids. Um, in as a, as a teacher and as a coach, um, it's I'm constantly preaching it to our kids. Um, you, you have to find your why. And I know that sounds very trendy. People are writing books about it these days. But um, that's where I feel so blessed is you know, I went to college thinking I wanted to get into business. Somehow along the way, I stumbled into coaching and teaching. And for me, that became my passion and that became my why. And um, I, I, I just I still look forward to it every day. Coach, I couldn't be more thankful. This was a great conversation. I got to say, you mean a lot to me. You mean a lot to a pe- lot to a lot of people. I'm sure there are so many players that have had the joy and the pleasure and the privilege, quite honestly, to have been coached by you. There are so many kids that have had the joy of being taught by you and to just be mentored and supported by you. And I just want to put it on record 
for me and for you. And I'm getting chills as I'm about to say it. Is I people ask me what was the best decision that I ever made in my life, and I always say the best decision was made for me. You know, and it really was attending Lake Forest Academy and all the guidance that you gave me and the support that you gave me all that time. And if you didn't, I just cannot see me having the life that I have right now. And it just reinforces, I think, to anyone that's listening, the importance, the little moments, the little things, right, coach, that it might not be that big of a thing to you as a coach with all the people you got around, but just taking that moment to talk to that kid if they're going through something or they need something or they had a rough day, you know, or giving them the encouragement, giving them the support, you know, that just goes a long, long way in developing and helping someone reach their potential. And uh, I accredit a lot of what I've achieved in my life to you, Coach. So I just want to thank you a ton for giving me the time today and sharing some of your wisdom with so many other people. I really appreciate you. And I love you, man. Hey, I love you too, Jay. And I'm I'm just so proud of you and uh, the type of husband you become, the type of father you 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 are. And uh you know, uh, again, as as any former, as any old coach or teacher will tell you, um, so much of what we enjoy as we uh, sort of age out of maybe the actual coaching or teaching is the ability to reconnect and stay connected with people that we played a role in their lives. And I just, uh, I'm so glad that you and I have been able to stay close and uh, can't wait to see you when you and the family are out here in a few weeks.